I love go- going back and looking at journals or in email inbox or the things that I was worried about or frustrated with three years ago, four years ago, five years ago, eight years ago, and be like, wow, all that stuff that was dragging me down or I was concerned about or I was striving for, I've made all that happen. Welcome to the Under the Mask podcast, where we discuss the super process behind superheroes, not just superheroes, aliens, horror, thrillers. If you can find it on a comics page, you can find it here. Here, you'll learn how to make comics from the initial outlines, scripts, and artwork to printing and putting the final book in a bag and board. For many years, Bill Colomb has written his book, Kinetic, and sold thousands of copies across the nation. And now we're inviting you along for an inside look to the comics process. If you're a fan of comic books, a total process junkie, or just looking for more insight into launching your own book, you're in the right place. This is the Under the Mask Podcast, and this is Bill Colomb. Under the Mask Podcast, episode 35. Whaling Week continues with this episode. After my interview with Rich Dueck, I had the opportunity to interview a creator that I really respect, and I couldn't turn that chance down. My guest today is a writer, publisher, podcaster, mentor, and independent comic advocate. He's the host of the Comics Launch podcast and publisher of Comics Tribe, whose releases include Sync and The Red Ten. Comics Tribe's latest release, The Wailing Blade, is a high-adrenaline fantasy adventure set in the dark future of mankind. You can support it by going to www.comicstribe.com slash Wailing Blade. That's Comics Tribe with an X dot com slash Wailing Blade. I'd like to introduce Tyler James. Tyler, thank you for coming on and talking with me today. Bill, great to be hanging with you. How you doing, my man? I'm doing well. How are you? You know, it's uh, we're recording this day before Election Day, uh, so the entire world is on pins and needles, I believe. But uh, hopefully this will be a nice uh, distraction <laughs> from all of that, because uh, I think the world is definitely uh, in, in need of a lot of uh, distractions and some and hopefully some positive stuff. So that's, I think, how my goal for for our conversation. We're going to keep it positive. We're going to keep it productive and uh, we're going to keep moving forward. So that's my game plan. How does that sound to you? <laughs> <laughs> that sounds great. That's why I chose it. So yeah. uh, today I can focus. Focus on uh, interviewing you and then editing some interviews. Yeah, it sounds like a, a good good way to go. And and for me, I I work the first half of the day, and then I'll probably be on the playground with my little boy. Uh, and so that'll keep me uh, keep me grounded on what's important. First thing I want to do is, uh, like I do with all my guests, I want you to tell us a little bit about your story. Who are you and how did you get to be with us here today? Yeah, I would love to do that. Um, I am Tyler James. I am a publisher and a creator and a, an educator. And uh, I've sort of been on this uh, this roller coaster ride of a journey uh, as all of those things because I've been making comics since I was, I don't know, 12 years old. And it's been a pretty uh, interesting journey, you know, from the person that, that, that read the books. And when I was a kid, like 
thought I was going to be a superhero when I grow up and uh, eventually realized that that wasn't a, a valid career path, but that uh, potentially making them could be something that I could always do. Um, and so when I was, uh, you know, between middle school and high school, um, that's what I did. That was my go-to activity. I created, you know, hundreds of pages of comics, uh, just sort of working on my drawing table up in my, up in my room um, all throughout high school. And um, then when college and everything else came, I, I left it behind completely almost and sort of com- fell completely out of the world of comics and creating comics had a little bit other more important things to do in, uh, in terms of uh, schooling and, and all that goes into that. Around 25, 26, I recognized there was like this massive creative void in my life. And it was a class that I took on a whim to uh, learn the art of comic book script writing after having, you know, been like a self-taught creator doing, you know, where, where I, and I was sort of like, you hear like seat of the pants writers or whatever, people that like don't really outline, don't really do stuff. They just kind of go in it. Well, I was a seat of the pants comic creator where like, I would just start drawing on a page and I, I never actually did went through a process of writing a full script and doing that stuff. And so it was, it was uh, actually a script writing class that brought me back into the world of comics and my mid twenties filled a massive creative void that had been left when I had sort of left it. And, and I've been doing that ever since. And so in 2001, we launched Comics Tribe, uh, which was intended to be both a self-publishing imprint for the books that myself and co-founder Stephen Forbes and some other creators that we'd sort of um, drawn into us um, would be publishing books under, um, but also a resource for artists, writers, people that wanted to be uh, to make comics, where we would just sort of share our journey from hey, we're some guys that love comics and love making comics. But as a publisher, we have no track record, no uh, credibility, no uh, just, just just starting from scratch and sort of documented the journey. And so, you know, fast forward uh, nearly a decade later, Comics Tribe has had hundreds of thousands of books printed and published and distributed out into the world, um, done over half a million dollars in funding on Kickstarter, 20 this is our 21st uh, launch that I've been a part of. And I've also, uh, you know, through that time, learned a ton of lessons, learned about how powerful Kickstarter was. And um, that was what really uh, encouraged me to start the Comics Launch podcast and what has become the Comics Launch Pro uh, community uh, for creators. Uh, to, because, you know, Kickstarter was a was sort of like that key catalytic ingredient that helped everything else with the Comics Tribe publishing endeavors um, level up. And I've seen how powerful it can be for other creators like yourself and, and others to really level up the, you know, their ability to get books made and out into the world. And um, and so spreading that message has been something that I've been doing for the last five years. And, and I've never been more uh, more passionate about it because I've, I've seen the the massive effect that it's had, the ripple effect that it's had through the greater comics community. And uh, more of that, please. So that's sort of <laughs> who I am, where I've been and, uh, and uh, what I'm all about in a nutshell. I don't usually do this, but I'll talk about uh, where I, where I knew you from before I even met you uh, was that old comics tribe website. And mm-hmm. uh, one of your articles was the, uh, uh, what is it? ISBNs, UBCs and barcodes. Oh my. Yeah. Uh, which was my go-to when I didn't know anything about creating comics. And I was looking about how, how do I get a barcode? How do I get a UPC? That was the, one of the first things that popped up in Google and read through that. And then the old comics tribe stuff, which had been published, I mean, 2013 or so. And uh, just going through all the old articles and stuff. And I learned so much from that website. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that bar, it's funny, that barcode article is like the most read thing. Uh, one of the most uh, read articles on the site, because I remember when I was trying to figure, figure that thing out, I'd never really thought about, you know, all right, all of these, you know, quote unquote, real comics have barcodes, but uh, how do you get one? Do I need one? When do you need one? What do all those numbers mean? Turns out they actually mean stuff really important for for retailers and for diamond. But, uh, you know, do we need them? All these questions that came up and, and I couldn't find good answers for them. So I sort of went out and... <laughs> And compiled a, an article and at conventions, like, I, I, I can't tell you how many people have come up to me and said like, Hey man, thanks you so much for that barcode article. It's, it's funny. There's certain things that, um, you know, that, that really resonate. It's never the thing. It's never the one thing that you think it's going to be like, uh, but I'm glad, I'm, I'm glad that that, uh, that's what brought you in because there really is that there's so much, so many great re, uh, articles on that site. And it was, you know, the, uh, uh, like the site, the comic shop site itself has sort of a full, I mean, it's basically like a master's class in writing comics that was uh, created over the course of several years by um, Stephen Forbes. And, you know, Steve, like in the early days of comic shop, uh, he really helped the, from the content side, keep things going. He was doing like two articles a week for, I think, several years, which is, uh, and, and not light articles, like really in-depth articles on the art of comic book script writing. And then he also had um, a series called The Proving Ground, where he would just edit real scripts that were submitted by creators out there. And I know like it's funny going back through the archive of sort of young, no credits to their name, uh, writers that had submitted to proving grounds and now seeing all these sort of creators names that, Hey, this person has gone on to raise 10,000, 20,000, 50,000 more on, uh, on Kickstarter and, or get picked up by different publishers. It's cool how you see those uh, articles and things have a long, long lasting legacy. We could talk about this literally all day. But I want to talk about the Wailing Blade. Um, yeah, I'm ex I'm excited. I'm excited to talk about this book. It's it's been a long time coming actually, and and so it's it's so exciting to have it on Kickstarter now and and to be you know assembling the collection that we're we're assembling for. Uh, we spoke with Rich Duick earlier about Wailing Blade, but I'd love to hear about it in your own words. Uh, Wailing Blade is available right now on Kickstarter. You can find it at comicstribe.com slash Wailing Blade. Tyler, what's the quick pitch for Wailing Blade? And tell us about the series. Yeah, so Wailing Blade is a dark sci-fi fantasy series. Uh, essentially, it, it focuses on this character, Tycon, who is a uh, sort of a bandit prince who is, you know, one of the few sort of groups that is is rebelling and trying not to live under the thumb of uh, what is essentially an oppressive uh, regime led by uh, a guy known as the tyrant. They do raids. Uh, they try to steal like technology and, and things and, and just sort of cause havoc for the tyrant. Sort of a, a little bit of a Robin Hood sort of sort of deal. Um, on one of these raids, uh, Tycon's father is uh, captured and so uh, and, and set to ex to be executed by the head taker. The head taker is one of seven legendary executioners that uh, carves up the land and, and, you know, travels from town to town administering uh, the tyrant's justice. And so Tycon hatches this plan to ambush the head taker en route to execute his father and steal the Wailing Blade and use that to uh, release his father. And of course, uh, the plan uh, goes, goes horribly wrong and sets up a massive clash between uh, multiple executioners in this world. And so it's, uh, it's sort of like, like if 
you can imagine uh, he, Master, He-Man Masters of the Universe in a brutal, bloody Mad Max world that's like, you know, so far into the future that um, mankind has already like conquered the world and then a future dark age is, has come. And so, you know, we see like the relics of ancient technology and, and you know, uh, is is almost like items of, of, uh, of mysticism in, in this world. So yeah, it's, it, it's this, this fun fusion of sort of almost a heavy metalish, uh, dark future feudal world. Um, but with technology and, and, you know, because it's rich Duick, uh, there's going to be some twists, some turns, um, a just real, like, like, like rich doesn't, he doesn't waste words in his scripts. And, and, and honestly, he didn't waste words with his pitch either. This Welling Blade was actually one of the very first pitches, uh, that I accepted, um, as a publisher of comics tribe. And, because we're a relatively small band with that operation, because we don't have unlimited resources to publish and fund all kinds of books uh, and, and unlimited time resources as well. Um, I've been you know, historically very picky about the pitches that come through, but this was one of the rare exceptions where Rich sent over a pitch without any, <laughs> without any art <laughs> and with a single, uh, just a say on a single page. And I'm like, I, I want to see this book app. I need to see this book happen. <laughs> and I'm like, I love it. Let's, let's make this happen. And uh, actually one of the things that we're offering during this campaign is a new print run of uh, Wailing Blade number one, but we're calling it the creator's cut. And so that creator's cut is actually going to include that original pitch that Rich sent my way uh, that I, that I greenlit. And it'll also imp- include the full script to issue number one side by side with Joe Mulvey's line art. Um, so it'll be just a, sort of an interesting and, and it'll be in black and white. So uh, you can just sort of see like what, it, what the raw rich Joe collaboration looks like um, just as close as you can get to just the, the raw pencils and inks. But, you know, one of the lessons that I learned in uh, as publisher and, and you know, I, I'm not sure if, if Rich got into the, the journey of it, but uh, we, we, we had a great story, a great pitch by, by Rich and I knew, uh, had a script uh, and then it was sort of time to pair it with an artist. And I had met, you know, locally a, a really super talented artist um, that I thought would do a phenomenal job on this book if he could. Um, if he was interested in it and at first he was interested in it, um, and started doing some concept stuff and I was getting really excited and Rich was getting really excited. The problem is though, is that, um, you know, this, this, this artist had never drawn a comic before, you know, he quickly discovered that the demands of doing a sequential art, mini comic book, mini series versus, you know, doing spot illustrations, doing pinups, doing covers. It's a different, it's a totally different ball game. And, um, and, and so, you know, he started working on it and then decided that it's just did not have the time, the bandwidth to be able to, um, you know, tell the story in sequential art. So that was sort of one of the things that, that I've, uh, lessons that I've learned as a publisher is that when it comes to sequential artists, and sequential art and you're putting your books together, you can find artists that are the most brilliant, you know, gorgeous artists out there. But if they don't haven't established a track record of, of telling a story through sequential art and don't have that passion for, for storytelling through sequential art, uh, you are far better off going with an artist that, that does, um, and that loves the comic medium, loves the storytelling through that comic medium. 
we had announced Wailing Blade like a long time ago. And, and then uh, when the artist decided not to go with it, it just sort of sat on the shelf for a while until I'm sure, uh, you know, Rich shared that uh, <laughs> over, over beers and uh, and a, a little bit of coaxing, he got Joe Mulvey to sign up on, on board. And, and once, once Mulvey was on board, it's like, okay, this thing is happening because um, Joe is one of those storytellers that, I mean, you know, Joe can make anything look awesome, but he's also ha- really has that passion for sequential storytelling as a, you know, avid comic book fan and everything. So it was a sort of a, I think, and then this is also one of those things that I think creators have to ne- never learn to love, but learn to accept and understand is that sometimes projects don't work out the way that you think they're going to work out the first time. And sometimes you just need that ex- extra element of time um, before it does come together. But now that the thing exists, now that we're putting it together into a, a gorgeous die cut hardcover collection, like I can't imagine anyone other than Joe Mulvey doing this book. Let's go back to that first pitch that you got uh, from R- Rich and Joe. What was your first reaction to hearing this pitch for Wailing Blade? So, you know, at the time that it came through, we'd had, uh, we had three books, I think, published for Comics Tribe. And all three of them were superhero, um, like takes on superhero. You know, that we had my book, The Red Ten, which was sort of uh, Justice League meets Agatha Christie's And Then There Were None. We had uh, Joe's book, Scam, which was Ocean's Eleven meets X-Men. And we had John Lee's uh, The Stand which was basically could like uh, Adam West Batman survive in a dark night world. And, uh, and, and, and so all sort of twists on the superhero genre, all books that we really loved. But I also sort of recognized that just doing superhero books would be a tough way to, to elevate the comics tribe imprint. And so I was, even if I wasn't actively pursuing it at the time, I was kind of hoping and waiting for a, pitch to come across my desk that I could sink, sink, we could sink our teeth into make a comics tribe book, get our fans on board, but, but did not have to, you know, sort of compete in the superhero space with the Marvels and the DCs of the world and could live on its own thing. And so when Rich came it apart, um, you know, I think there was just something about the, the world that he had laid that, that he had, you know, sort of explained. I also, you know, I, I spent a lot of time as publisher thinking about, you know, the the hooks or the entry points or the ways in. And so this concept of a wailing, like the wailing blade itself, a blade that screams louder than the victims it beheads, right? And uh, like, I mean, that just evoked a great, you know, concept, but then also this broader world where there are these, you know, six other executioners and, and every executioner has their own sort of weapon of choice that is, uh, you know, equally as unique and, and, uh, and fearsome as the wailing blade. And I started thinking about, you know, and, and all of these executioners, they all have their own symbols and their own sort of mythology and their own sort of cult following or fan base, if you will. Uh, it just seems like a, like a lot of stuff that we could play with um, from, from a marketing side, as well as uh, just rich storytelling possibilities. Um, it, it seemed like a world that, that we could do, you could do a lot with. And then, you know, Rich also, 
And there's, and, and there's another thing for, for those of you out, you know, pitching to publishers or, or even just trying to get people excited about your, your book, Rich laid out what the story of Wailing Blade was going to be or the initial, you know, the, the initial arc was, and it ends on a, <laughs> it ends on a twist that I didn't see coming in the pitch. Uh, he didn't hide that from me. He didn't, you know, obfuscate that. Um, and it's like, wow, that would, that's going to really catch the audience. Uh, you know, it's going <laughs> to, it's going to get their heads to roll a little bit and, and not something they see coming. And, and it was tight and it was like, all right, you know, four issues, let's, let's, let's knock this out and, uh, and let's make this thing happen. Um, and so, so that was sort of my, my reaction to it. It's like, it was a world that I, I knew I wanted to see created. And I, I knew that I was confident that people would want to spend a lot of time in had characters at a, at a strong character arc, uh, had some twists and turns that you don't necessarily, uh, that you wouldn't necessarily see coming. And it was by, uh, you know, a writer that I had, uh, I, we, I'd worked with Rich on, yeah, I had worked with, with Rich on a story for the oxymoron, um, Kickstarter, uh, hardcover anthology. Uh, and so, and it was one of my favorites that, that he had, uh, that, uh, of that book. And so, you know, I knew I wanted to, uh, to keep working with rich. So, um, so there you have it. So that, that, that is another, another tip. If you can, if there's a publisher or some, someone that you want to work with, uh, and they do anthologies if you, and you can get on that anthology, uh, that's a great way to, uh, show your ability to, uh, to deliver and, uh, and something small, which makes them want to work with you on something bigger. You brought up a great little nugget of advice there too, with a lot of new comic writers don't understand that, you're not writing your script for the general public. The general public is not going to see your script. You are writing for the artists and your pitch is written for the publisher. The publisher yeah. and artist should know what's happening. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's, and it's not, not always about um, filling up, just, just filling up page and documents. I like, I know a lot of creators like Rich's pitch was definitely a, a sort of less is more like it, it made me, I got to the end of the pitch and I'm like, okay, yes, I want to see this book. I didn't have to sift through pages and pages and pages of character designs and notes and backstory and world building to get there. And I think that's an art that, um, in, in, and, you know, Rich works in the world of, of marketing and advertising. So, um, a lot of what, what they have to do is be able to cut things down to, you know, just, just the essential stuff when you're doing 30 second ads or 15 second spots, uh, you got to get to the essentials. You got to cut, cut straight to the, what's most important. Um, and so that's it. That is another, um, good, uh, skill to build. And <laughs> when it comes to podcasting and things, I found it's not a skill that I have, you know, I will take way more words than I need to uh, get a point across, unfortunately, even, even 270 odd episodes in, but, uh, but that's okay. Uh, people have dishes to do and, uh, dogs to walk. And so at least in the podcasting medium, I think uh, they're okay with a little bit longer, uh, conversations. What are you excited about with the upcoming Wailing Blade hardcover? Well, one of the things that I've been really in, in like the last couple of years that, that I've been really excited about is just getting passionate and, and excited about pushing the envelope on the print medium. And I, we, we've worked with some really talented people on the print and production side of it. So we'll be working with Sam Amborn again uh, over at Print Lore. And it's fun to just come up with a concept for a cover or a special hardcover edition or, or whatnot, what have you, and just say, hey, Sam, here's what I want to do. How do we make this happen? And so 
Well, um, you know, earlier this year, we launched, did a launch for a book called She with Ryan Lindsay and Sammy Cavella um, with just like a real high concept hardcover. Uh, it was a, had a die cut in the center of it. It's got, you know, some translucent paper that uh, puts a, a, uh, a mask on the character and then you turn it over and the character mask reveals like, it's just really a cool concept that, that, that is one of the things that I get excited about. Cause you know, in, in these, for this book, you know, I'm not writing and I'm not drawing it. My, as publisher, I, I, I want to find ways where I can add value and add, you know, curb and sex appeal to these books and these products. And I think that's one of the things that I get really excited about. It's like, okay, here's, here's what we have. We're working with great raw material. Now, how do we put it together into the best possible collection? That's a lot of what we've been doing at Comics Tribe. Like, I think our collections are, are some of the, some of the best that are out there is that, and, and we always love to put a little bit of extra material into the uh, hardcover collections. And so for, for this Wailing Blade collection, like, even though it's a series that, you know, completed last year, we wanted to make sure that we did the collection right. And so we've added an extra scene uh, to the end of the book. Uh, this is something that we've done on a number of our Comics Tribe properties where we will, um, you know, collect the book and, and then at the end, we'll add a, you know, few extra pages, sort of like your end of the credit scene via, via Marvel movie or something. Um, and in this particular one, I'm pretty excited because it released, it, it introduces two new uh, executioners uh, for the world. So um, we, we met two, ex we met the head taker and bone breaker in the uh, mini series for Wailing Blade Headtaker, um, but you're going to be uh, introduced to two new executioners and it sort of sets up what's to come in the pages of Wailing Blade. For the collection, we have the Legends of the Wailing Blades section, and this is an opportunity to add some brand new material to the uh, to the trade collection that even people that have read the miniseries uh, through the direct market, uh, this will be all new to them. Um, and what we did was we decided to reach out to uh, a number of creators in the indie comics world and ask them to tell origin stories like of the Wailing Blade itself. Uh, this is a sword that uh, is is legendary, but uh, the, the concept is that in every town and tavern, uh, different tales are spun about what the true origin of the Wailing Blade is, what the creation story is behind it. And so we reached out to a whole bunch of awesome indie writers to tell us their origin of the Wailing Blade. And, and we've collected those. We've also reached out to a whole bunch of indie comic book artists whose work we love to illustrate a pinup to go along with each and every one of those stories. And so um, this is a, a collection and, and it should we hit stretch goals things. We may expand the section even more and add more pages, but we're, I'm really excited about this. The stories are great. The, uh, the art that's coming in is great. And uh, the creators that are involved, are great. So we're looking forward to, uh, we're actually going to be un starting to unveil the creators that are taking part uh, in this section over the next uh, couple of weeks of the campaign. So I'm excited about that. I wanted to touch real quick on you as a publisher, because I think you may be one of the first publishers that I've had actually on the Under the Mask podcast. And I think I'd be doing my audience a disservice by not asking this. Like you said, you've been very selective about the books that you choose to publish. You, uh, you, you don't have the resources as a small publisher to go out and publish, you know, every pitch that's sent to you. What do you look for in a pitch that makes you say, holy crap, yes. Yeah, so... <sighs> I mean, I, I, honestly, at this point, it starts with the creators 
themselves involved. You know, it's, it's a lot of work to create comics. And then once you create the comics, it's a lot of work to market them and launch them and get them out into the world and then go to conventions and, to, you know, stand behind their, the desk and, and sell them. And so, you know, at this point, the first thing I'm looking at is like, who are the people that are pitching me this book? And are these people that I'd want to spend literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of my future hours uh, continuing to work with, uh, it, you know, whether it's 15 minute uh, conversations uh, via, uh, via Zoom or just in text message threads or standing next to next to them for a weekend at a comic book convention. So that's first and foremost. The second thing is that do I, do we already have the audience for this book? Because there are a ton of great pitches that I get pitched for or pitches for that I know could find a home somewhere or, you know, would in some cases crush on Kickstarter. But if we don't really have a home for that book, or if we don't really have, if that book looks out of place standing right next to uh, Wailing Blade or Sync or Oxymoron, if, if we'd have to go and build a brand new audience for, for that book, we're just not at a place where we can be an image comics that can publish super adult fare, but then also, you know, random, you know, uh, just lighter, more lighter hearted, just cartoony stuff. Like image can publish anything. Like they've sort of established themselves that like we're not, we're not that a lot of times I will look at our books and say, okay, can we, you know, can we get, the comics tribe audience excited about that. Now that said, like, it's not that I'm not willing to sort of take a chance on certain things that is just a really great project or, or something that, that would be really cool to see. And there are certain things that can, you know, push me one way or the other. Sync is is pretty far uh, removed from what she was. You know, she was a dark intergalactic bounty hunter book with um, bright poppy art uh, by Chris Panda and written by Ryan K. Lindsay. Um, but the benefit there was that, hey, we've actually done a couple books with Ryan K. Lindsay um, and, and or had him on a couple projects uh, before. Our, our audience is familiar with Ryan's work. And, and so uh, it did not surprise us that that book did as well as it did on Kickstarter with everything else that, that we have going on. So, you know, it's not that we won't, you know, take some chances or, or, or try some new things. The other thing is that success in one thing will potentially lead to success in another. Um, and so, whereas Comics Tribe started with three superhero books, we haven't put out a superhero book in, in years. <laughs> and and now have sort of like been more in the sort of sci-fi fantasy and sort of crime horror um, is sort of where we've been sort of leaning. And, you know, part of it is own personal preferences and part of it is where our audience is. And then part of it is just reacting to what, what our sales are, you know, the books that do well, we try to make more like that. <laughs> yeah. It's hard to argue with uh, sales numbers. Yeah. End of the day, it's um, it still has to be a business and it still has to run like a business. And that's been a, a tough thing. Uh, I know it's a tough thing for a lot of creators that I work with. It's tough. It's been a tough thing for me is, is um, you know, the businesses that last are actually have an element of boringness <laughs> to them. <laughs> right. You know, like, 
you look at like McDonald's, like why is McDonald's like, you know, well, yes, they do new things and they offer new menu changes and everything, but there's also staples and things that, that, and processes that they run and, and a customer base that they serve that they just in and out day, day in, day out. And I think comics is definitely one of those um, things that it's like, it's all focused on the next thing, the next thing, the next issue, next, 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 next. One of the things that we have to be cognizant of is is building out, um, you know, building up that audience base and building up the processes so that we are not recreating the wheel with every single book that we do. And that's what, another reason why I think Kickstarter is so powerful is that when you launch on Kickstarter, when you create a Kickstarter profile and start setting it up, like it becomes this asset in your business that can help get you the the elusive thing that a lot of creators are looking for. And that's predictable results, or at least semi-predictable results. With this Kickstarter campaign for Wailing Blade, I actually, I mean, I, I set the biggest goal that we've ever set for a Kickstarter. It's $30,000 goal. I knew that that's going to be a march. I knew that this was going to be closer to some of our earlier campaigns where, you know, no, we didn't get funded in the first 20 minutes. We didn't get funded in the first two hours or the first day uh, early, early on with, with our launches. It actually was more of a march. It was a, and, and required us to grow and to, to market and to get the word out and, and, and actually run it like a full on campaign. And so I knew that going into into this launch and and uh, it was something that I was actually you know looking forward to doing it because it'd been a while since I'd sort of done a more like aspirational like this is a, a reach for us this is going to be a a uh, you know we're going to have to put everything on the line for this launch and so it's actually been kind of an exciting experience to just go f- go for a bigger a bigger launch on this but the nice thing about having a Kickstarter account and a and building upon successful launch after successful launch after successful launch is that the first day, launch the Kickstarter, send a few emails to our list, contact our cu- customer base, make a few you know posts on social media. And pretty reliably, yeah, there's you know, $10,000, $12,000 that comes in in, the, in a rush on that first day. And that's not, not a Comics Tribe thing. That's a Kickstarter creator thing. Building up the asset of a Kickstarter account can be one of those things that that makes your business a little bit more predictable and a little bit more and works a little bit more like other successful businesses that maybe aren't as creative, but <laughs> are, are successful. With Comics Tribe, what have been the biggest obstacles or challenges you faced and how did you overcome them? Yeah. I mean, I think starting from obscurity and in a competitive market and not really knowing what we not even knowing what we didn't even know. One of the things that has served us well over the years is just going out there and documenting the journey. You can sort of see when the articles and the other things that we were putting out, you know, there were certain things that we knew. And, and, and I've always been someone like that has been, um, as soon as I learn something or, or find something new, I want to teach it to a dozen other people, a hundred other people, a thousand other people in, in high school. Like one of my big projects that I did, uh, was how to create comics. I did a, a tutorial, like a 40 minute tutorial video on how to create comics. Uh, and so I've been doing this, <laughs> I've been making comics, teaching about them uh, for years. This wasn't a, a, a new thing for me, but we did that with Comics Tribe and uh, through through sharing our journey, documenting the journey, um, it attracted a lot of creators and pe- a lot of creators that ended up publishing with us and working with us and being a part of the tribe. So that's what I would say is, is you know, being gracious about sharing what you know and, and being honest and humble about um, what you don't 
and documenting the journey of going on the pursuit to finding those answers. What are the biggest mistakes that you see newer creators make? I mean, the, the number one with a bullet is the underestimation of how long it will take you to get your great idea in your head into a fully realized uh, magnum opus out on the shelves. <laughs> and so anytime I hear a creator that's never created a comic before tell me about their series or their graphic novel or their 10 issue arc, et cetera, it's, I mean, I, like, I know why they do it. It's because the books that make them want to create comics in the first place are those things. But the reality is it's going to be such a, an uphill journey to, to bring something that big to life. And, or, and, and, to, and, and when they make like the first iteration of the thing that they put out of the world, like, yeah, I'm, I'm launching a graphic novel, but I have no money, no resources, no artist time. How do I do that? How do I make my graphic novel starting with, with, with nothing? It's like, you don't make a graphic novel. You do a page, you do five pages, you work with a dozen artists on super small stuff. You try to get into every anthology that you can possibly get into. Through that, you start building a little bit of a name recognition. You build a Rolodex of creators that like working with you. And you start seeing which creators actually like if you need a collaborator and, and, and some, you know, there's some artists out there, some writer artists out there that, that do it both and are phenomenal at both. And they have a little bit of advantage. But for them, you also want to start small and aim small, because if it takes you three years to, to put out a graphic novel and you're putting out nothing in between, it's actually that lack of launching and that lack of sort of exchanging value for value with an audience that will uh, slow down your, your moment or the, that will stop you from getting momentum and stop you from actually building that audience. And so I, I, I want to see, you know, most creators sm making smaller things launch more often launching a couple times a year, really building that, um, that momentum um, because it doesn't really take all that long for that momentum to build, especially when you have a, a force multiplier like Kickstarter out there for you. So, so yeah, uh, working on smaller projects, um, earlier on in your, in your career and understand that, you know, Marvel and DC have trouble keeping a six issue miniseries going for more than six issues. So, um, for you to expect that, uh, your series or your, your thing is, um, is going to buck that trend is a little presumptuous. Now, all that being said, there are creators that have a singular focus and vision and have one story to tell and they're committed to telling it. And, you know, the, I think you're, you, you fall in that bucket bill of, you know, kinetic is the book that you want to work on and you don't have a million other, other projects that, that are, that you want to work on. And this is the thing that you want to work on. And so in that case, yeah, the, what you want to do is you want to do the launch serialization model where you are, you know, releasing each issue on, on a platform like Kickstarter and hopefully building momentum with, with, with every launch. Yeah. I would not use me as the uh, example for advice to give, you know, everybody gives the advice, start, start small. A lot of people say start small, but they don't say why. And the reason is it's easier to finish a small project than a big project. I was lucky that I had the wherewithal and the funds that I knew that I'd be able to do eight issues. And I said, well, damn the torpedoes and let's just do it. Yeah. And, and, you know, there are some creators that, that have that, or, or, you know, if you've got a, if someone, you've got a day job and, and, and you can afford to just, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to roll that into it. But, but then also like delaying the launching will ultimately have a, 
an effect on whatever your first launch is. And so, you know, I see examples of creators that like, well, I don't, I don't want to launch a small project. I want to launch a big Kickstarter project. But then it's like, all right, who are you going to launch it to? If you spent the last four years working on this thing and, and haven't actually put it out into the world and, and haven't been building the following for that thing, who are you going to launch to? That, that becomes its own little challenge and problem in and of itself. But, um, you know, it's hindsight is, is, uh, is always 2020, obviously. And it's very easy for creators that have been at this for a while to give you that advice, but know that, you know, when you hear the same thing a a number of times, it's probably pretty solid, uh, advice from creators that are, that are where you're trying to get. And the other thing that I will say is building your track record and your, um, the muscles of being a finisher, someone that's, that finishes what he starts is so important. Um, but it's, it is a lot harder to, and, and I have projects that still, you know, haunt me that I could not, fi- could not have finished. And I would have been able to finish them if they were just smaller projects. And uh, that leads perfectly into the next and last question. What is the best advice that you can give to someone who wants to do what we do? So the best advice that I would give is to really think about what it is like, like, like to get really clear on where you, where you're going. All right. And where you want to go. And then just make sure that you are tying your daily actions to the, the place that you're trying to go. A lot of times we get so caught up in not being where we want to get <laughs> that we do not do the things that would, that would enable us to ever get there. It's like, I'm, I'm frustrated because no, like no publishers are, are checking out my, my scripts or they're, they're ignoring my pitches or, or my books not selling or everything. And that can get us down. And, and then as a result, we don't do the things that would make a publisher interested in us in the first place, or we don't do the, just, just the basic stuff. And then the other thing that I would say is to look back find areas and find ways where you can keep, you're keeping a record of what you've actually accomplished and your progress. Cause it's very easy to, and I see this happen with a lot of creators, even creators that have success on Kickstarter. It's like their first launch was like, this, was a big struggle and they succeed and they win and, and they get there. And then they launch again on the second launch and, and maybe it only does a little bit better, or maybe it doesn't even do as, as well as that first launch. And they think they lost the magic or something. And, and, and they don't realize that, no, it's just every launch is going to be a little different. And you actually have come, you, you've come a long way, you know? <laughs> and, and, and I have to remind my this because, because like as human beings, we are hardwired to look for problems, look for lack, look for scarcities, look for threats and diminish the accomplishments that we've made. And, um, and so I love uh, whenever, especially whenever I'm feeling down, I love go- going back and looking at journals or in email inbox or the things that I was worried about or frustrated with three years ago, four years ago, five years ago, eight years ago, and be like, wow, all that stuff that was dragging me down or I was concerned about, or I was striving for, I've made all that happen, or I've made most of that happen. Or, well, I didn't make that happen, but there was a good reason for that. And it led to this positive thing. And so that's just the the perspective that I try to take. These obstacles today are going to be the wins that I'm going to look back on tomorrow. And I think that's a good way to keep perspective. Uh, and, And then it also helps me remember, remind myself that 
the problems are never going to go away. Like you're always going to have problems because it, you know, this, this life is like a video game where as soon as you like, congrats, you beat this level. Now you're on to the next level. And it's a little bit harder. Understanding that, taking that mentality, getting away from the idea that there's ever like, there's ever this moment when you've made it and all is right and, and nothing is, and there's no more adversity like that. That's never going to happen. It's a pipe dream. And as soon as you sort of realize that, then you can actually take a deep breath and just kind of be grateful and enjoy the phase and the aspect and the part of your of your career that you're at right now. Hey, well, Tyler, thank you for coming on and chatting with me. Everyone listening, Wailing Blade is live on Kickstarter now through November 20th. You can support it by visiting comicstribe.com slash Wailing Blade. Tyler, where else can we find you online? Best place. I mean, if you're listening to this on a podcast, uh, best place to uh, get a weekly dose of comics, Kickstarter, mindset, strategies, tactics for building your audience and launching awesome stuff to them is the Comics Launch Podcast. You can go and subscribe wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. It's C-O-M-I-X launch. Uh, and that's a great place to do it. Um, I also, I want to just anyone that is listening to this is probably um, thinking about at least uh, launching a Kickstarter at some point in the future. Um, I put together a free class that uh, you can check out at comicslaunch.com forward slash class. And this is a training um, where I basically just walk through the four uh, steps I take for every one of the comic book Kickstarter launches that I approach uh, and, and that I've launched. Um, and this is the four-step process that I teach to all the creators inside the Comics Launch Pro community. And so I put together a free training plus some Q&A that uh, you can register for if you go to comicslaunch.com forward slash class. Would love to uh, see you at one of those upcoming classes. Uh, again, absolutely free and uh, would love to uh, <laughs> help support you on your launch journey because we really had a great time. Uh, there's over 300 projects in the comics category that are live on Kickstarter right now. And 75% or so of them are going to fund. And uh, that's a, a great time to be. Uh, so it's a great time to be a creator. It's a great time to be launching. And so if I can help more creators do that, um, that's what gets me up in the morning. I also do have a comics launch Facebook group specifically for comic creators, successful comic book creators, crowd funders. Go to comicslaunch.com forward slash group, and that will bring you over to the Comics Launchers uh, Facebook group. And that's another uh, group that you can join uh, for free. So um, hopefully between all of that, you should be able to get a message uh, my way. And we'll be sure to have all those links in the show notes and description below. Tyler, thank you again so much for coming on and chatting with me today. No problem, Bill. Anytime. If you know a creator that makes comic books or any other media and think they'd be a good fit for the show, drop us a line at underthemaskshow at gmail.com. You've been listening to the Under the Mask podcast with Bill Colome. Welcome to the family. If you're a fan of comic books, a total process junkie, or just looking for more insight into launching your own book, you've found the right podcast for you. Thanks for listening, and make sure to like or leave a review, and we'd appreciate it if you'd tell a friend or two. To reach out, visit us at underthemaskpodcast.com. This has been a presentation of Why Comics. Till next time, this is the Under the Mask Podcast, signing off.